Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on ATS.io Radio. This is the Thursday, September 17th edition of our sports betting podcast. I'm joined by professional handicapper Brad Powers from bradpowersports.com. We'll talk college football week three. We'll talk NFL week two. We'll have some highlight topics and games that will turn into videos over on our ATS YouTube page. Lots of stuff going on here today on the program. Lots of stuff going on over at ATS.io as well. We're covering the top sportsbook promotions for the week over there at the website. Some great crowd booster opportunities in Indiana and Illinois for the Colts and the Bears this weekend. But we're also covering all of the sports that are going on with previews, picks, and predictions across Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NHL, the NFL, college football. And we found out that college basketball will be a thing here the day before Thanksgiving, the expected start of the 2020-21 season. So hopefully we do wind up getting that with college basketball. No content on that as of yet over at the website, but I know we'll be covering it as we get closer to the start of the season. And while you're over at ATS.io, check out our sportsbook reviews. If you're in a state that has sports or legal sports betting, you can check out the sportsbook reviews for those. If you're not, well, you can get an idea of what will soon be heading your way uh, as more states adopt legalization here heading into 2021. So like I said, we're going to chat some college football and some NFL here today with Brad Powers from bradpowersports.com. And Brad, how's it going today, brother? Man, it's going well. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. You know, uh, look, football's trying here. I mean, college football is literally giving it the old college try. We do have a couple of games that were postponed this weekend. Houston, Memphis, Charlotte, North Carolina. But Houston has found a way back onto the schedule playing Baylor here. So these teams are being creative. Uh, I know Charlotte you know, erring on the side of caution with contact tracing. Only one positive test, but they opt to postpone their game anyway. Uh, it, at least these schools are trying, and you know the uh, the quest for information on what's happening with these teams uh, just feels never ending right now. Uh, it does. So you know, bets that you think are good at the start of the week, like North Carolina, because you're betting on news uh, because Charlotte's quarterback ends up being out. I mean, those bets end up getting voided. So a lot of maneuverability you got to do, but you know, at least there's football to bet on. So I can't complain too much. Well, speaking about that, we had some discussions about market entry last week on the shows. Have you gotten more comfortable betting early in the week now with what's happening in college football, or are you still kind of waiting for everything to sort of shake out and for everything to settle in? Another great question. Uh, in some instances, I'm more comfortable, and others, I'm not. Uh, you know, I was, I'll say this I was a little more risky this past week jumping into the early circuit numbers probably should have backed off a little bit more i <laughs> i jumped on some tolls i probably i wasn't considering possible weather and, and whatnot so th- that is one change i'm gonna make for next week i'm not gonna jump into too many totals early on but sides i'm ready to go i'm pretty comfortable when it comes to that well and that was a discussion that we had on monday with uh, fellow professional handicapper kyle hunter about you know is it worth jumping in there to try and get some of this perceived line value in the event that maybe by Wednesday or Thursday, some bad news breaks. You know, we kind of talked about it more in the context of the NFL, where numbers are extremely important, especially key numbers. In college football, you know, we all want to get out in front of the market because the size of the moves is sometimes quite significant, four, five, six points, things like that. Do you feel like it's worth that risk if you think you've got, you know, a, a pretty good number on Monday to fire away? Yeah, I mean, especially if you the expectation is it's going to move several points. Maybe I'm not jumping on the 
you know, around a key number. I'm taking seven and a half like I did a couple, you know, years ago and, and taking three and a half because I know it's going to move in that direction. Those are the type of bets I'm kind of laying off. But certainly if I expect that if the number's off four or five points and that does still happen in college football, then I'm going ahead and I'm firing away. Well, one of the things that was very important to find out here in week two is to see some of these teams. I mean, we saw a handful of teams in week one. We saw a lot more teams in week two, including some of the heavier hitters, teams in the ACC, a team like Notre Dame, stuff like that. So from week two to week three here, Brad, what were some of the biggest power ratings adjustments that you made on some of these teams? Great question. So when you look, Notre Dame what wasn't, to me, a major upgrade or downgrade. If you listen to people on Twitter watching the game, you would have thought Notre Dame played absolutely horribly. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't have that take. I just thought they, they were rusty early in the game. And I'm very anti-Notre Dame when it comes uh, to betting and gambling. So only about a point or so movement there. But, but some of the biggest ones that I've had to adjust so far, uh, you know, obviously Army continues to get a major upgrade. I mean, not only from the first game performance, but market was all over Army in that game against ULM last week. And I upgraded Army another couple of points. So, I mean, I got Army up almost a touchdown for six points since the start of the season. And I was high on them to begin with. That's my biggest adjustment so far. Georgia Southern not having 30 players. I think you got to take them down about a touchdown. So that would be on the lower end, Georgia Southern taking them down. Yeah, I took Army up five points last week. I didn't make an adjustment after their week one game. Wound up making an adjustment after week two, uh, moving them up five points. So you and I both in the same place there. I didn't know what to do with Georgia Southern for this week. I only moved them down five, but you know, obviously an interesting situation here. We're FAU this week. Has yep. some COVID concerns. So, you know, it's very tough to power rate really both of those teams at this point in time. But what about some of the bigger names, some of the ACC teams that we saw in action? Miami looked pretty good with De'Ara King. Florida State yep. looked awful, a continuation of what we've seen from them here over the last few years in Tallahassee. What about some of those ACC moves? Anything really noteworthy there? Yeah, I took down Florida State three points. Maybe not enough. I mean, I thought I bet Georgia Tech, and I already had like a two, three point overlay in that game to begin with. So that's why I wasn't aggressive downgrading Florida State. I thought Georgia Tech clearly was the superior team. My numbers on Georgia Tech all uh, preseason have been very high on the Yellow Jackets. So not huge adjustments there. I did bump up Miami a couple of points, finally seeing, you know, a quarterback in that system making plays. Uh, maybe not significant upgrade there, but. Uh, yeah, I, you know, the other upgrades, you know, Clemson, I left the same. Wake Forest, I uh, down, I upgraded about a point. Are you hearing the commotion I'm dealing with right now? I am. I'm, I'm hearing the commotion there. You got the uh, the cat in the background, and, and Brad Powers has left the show here for a minute to uh, uh, let the cat out of the uh, prefer- proverbial bag here. Let the cat out of the room. But then you leave the door open, so the damn thing's going to come back. Well, have you heard of pounding <laughs> on the door? He can he can open a door, so we'll see. That's all right. That's fine. It it happens. You know, uh, whatever. Uh, you know, look. I mean, it's it's one of those things here with with the ACC in that you sort of wonder how these teams will look if they hit the ground running if they have sort of that transition period and. You know, we don't really know what some of those teams will look like this week. We don't know what the SEC will look like next weekend, although all of us are very excited to have another major conference back. You mentioned with the Florida State movement that you already had the line off market a little bit. 
you know, on the Georgia Tech side, and I agreed with you, I had my number in the same range that you did, uh, both of us on Georgia Tech last week, and that wound up coming to fruition. So I think it's an important lesson for our listeners here, and I want to spend a couple of minutes on this with regards to power ratings adjustments, where when you're already off market, you know, that sort of dictates the adjustment that you actually make. Yeah, it, it does. So uh, maybe not as aggressive. I mean, it's more about the market coming towards where your number was. So again, you know, typically if I just saw that performance out of Georgia Tech and, you know, just saying my power rings was close to, to that line going into it, maybe I upgrade them three, four points, downgrade Florida State four or five points or, or whatnot. Uh, to me, whenever the mark, the, the game result ends up, you know, going along kind of where I'm at, Obviously, the, the the amount of adjustments just not there. I, I don't automatically just change it to change it uh, along with everybody else. I, I just it's smaller changes for me. The market's starting to come where I'm at on that particular team. All right, so we got one of our highlight topics here for this Thursday edition of ATS.io Radio. And, Brad, I wanted to talk about handicapping coaches in college football because, you know, in, in the NFL, there are obviously some very good coaches, some coaches that are below average and some guys that we would all say are, are pretty bad, but much like a power ratings gap from one to 32 in the NFL, the gap between coaches isn't as significant, I would say, as it is in college football. So first, before we talk about some specific examples here that you've taken advantage of in this 2020 season, how do you handicap coaches? I mean, how, how do you quantify you know, coaches that are better than others, or do you just sort of file it away in the back of your mind and use it maybe as justification for a play more than having some sort of actual statistical analysis of the coaches? Well, uh, coaches goes into my team power rating. I have a specific column for coaches, and obviously big difference between a Nick Saban and, you know, a first-year coach. Uh, I always use the example Mike Jinks from Bowling Green from a few years ago. A big difference there, so it goes into the overall team power rating. Now, specifically to this year, I, you know, when it came to first-year coaches, even if I really liked the hire, I, I wasn't big on upgrading that, that team from a coaching aspect. Say, say, for example, Florida State, Mike Norvell, who I think is, a, a, you know, an upgrade over Willie Taggart from last year. Normally, hey, even though he's a first-year coach, upgrade at the coaching spot for, for that particular category in my power rating. Not the case this year because of the disadvantages specifically to COVID. At least my theory was first-year coaches were going to be really behind the eight ball, no spring practices, less actual face-to-face time with your actual uh, players. So I wasn't anxious to bet a lot of first-year coaches, at least the first couple weeks of the season. Thankfully, that theory has proven to be correct. I mean, first-year coaches so far, FBS, FCS, since we're dealing with a lot of those FCS teams playing FBS games, I mean, first-year coaches now are 2-8 and eight against the number. Well, and, and how long do you expect that to last? I mean, how long do you give these coaches, you know, seeing their teams in action and then having that week of practice? I mean, do you think that this is something that just carries over all the way through 2020, not having spring practices, having kind of the weird camps and lead up to the season and all that? Or do you expect some of these first-year coaches to make, you know, the necessary adjustments with their teams and, and get them into a better spot? Another great question. Uh Typically, maybe I only use it first couple weeks of the season in normal season. Maybe it's an extra week this year. Or, I mean, case-by-case basis, we'll see. Maybe some just won't figure it out. The beauty of this year is we have a staggered schedule. So as some of those first-year coaches start to make those adjustments, you know, the second game, third game, fourth game, whatnot, we get 
you know, ramp up. SEC is going to be playing next week with four new coaches. Big Ten's going to have new coaches here uh, in, in October. So the beauty of it is, you know, it might last all, all year long where I'm playing against first year coaches just because of a staggered schedule. Now, I think when we say coaches, people assume that we just mean head coaches. But to me, I really love handicapping the coordinators. That's one of my favorite things to do in the lead up to a college football season. Didn't do as much of that as I typically do because I didn't really expect college football to be played. Didn't want to put in the time. Like I mentioned before, I put in a ton of time in the MLB betting guide back in February. And then, of course, you know, that kind of went up in flames a little bit. So what about coordinators? How do you sort of factor them into this equation? Depends on how drastic the, the scheme change is. Uh, although, I'll say this, Syracuse had a dramatic scheme change to a 3-3-5, and I thought their defense against North Carolina looked pretty legit last week. So, I mean, theoretically, I would say if you have a drastic scheme change, big-time negative. Didn't have time to install that scheme. Didn't have spring practices to, to actual pl- you know practice and play on that scheme. So, I... You know, typically, while I could do some major upgrades, downgrades, first-year coordinators, I'm kind of wait and see right now. I don't have enough data points to, to make, uh, I think, concrete conclusions. I think two of the biggest things regarding coordinators are, you know, especially offensive coordinators in particular, you know, when you go to a different kind of tempo, I think that's something where you can find a lot of betting value out there in the marketplace because we have this expectation. You think about a team like Miami, for example, going to Rhett Lashley we have this expectation that they're going to play faster and maybe the totals market will adjust. Maybe the totals market won't, but that's something, especially at the group of five level, if you get an offensive coordinator, you know, that maybe you're going from a pro style to a spread style with some more tempo, something like that. I think those are things that the market is pretty slow to react on. I hate to put you on the spot here, but off the top of your head, you know, can you think of any teams right now that have had substantial or that you expect to have, substantial tempo changes here from what they were last year? Well, I can tell you right now, uh, we, your example, Miami's dead on. I mean, we've seen Miami's totals take money now two weeks. Uh, and you really never for, you know, fully know uh, until you see the market making some dramatic changes. But we've seen that from Miami. Group of five level, Texas State for me. Uh, and actually two teams that played last week, and we saw the total go way over but we really didn't see a market uh, movement because of COVID issues on both UTSA and Texas State. Spavadol at Texas State, he's the head coach. He actually took over the play calling duties. That's where he made his hey. I expect Texas State's offense all year long to be dramatically improved from last year. And UTSA, what we saw was them go from Frank Wilson, a defensive-minded type of coach, to an offensive-minded coach in, in, in trailer. We saw that offense come out, even though limited practice time, first-year coach, I mean, that was the best offensive performance UTSA's had in, in, in several years. So those would be two they just played. But I'm not sure. The, the problem is 51-48. Now people saw that final score, and they're going to be all over it. But I still would, if you tell me blindly play the over on Texas State and UTSA games this year, I think you'll be positive, EV. Yeah, you know, I watched a good bit of that UTSA-Texas State game, in part because it was such a fascinating game, especially in the second half with UTSA uh, blowing that lead. But they ran the football very effectively. And and I like the idea, if you're a really bad team, and I've talked about this before, and I've talked about you know maybe some of the teams that are bad in power conferences, maybe trying something like the option. You know, Before Matt Campbell got to Iowa State, I thought, what do you have to lose? You know, at least you get some kind of recruiting advantage if you start running an offense nobody else is running because yeah. you can recruit for that at the high school level. 
it gives you a chance to pull a Georgia Tech and go seven and six or eight and four, you know, eight and four every year, something like that, just because you do something different. I think that that's something with the really bad teams. What you've been doing doesn't work. So why the hell not try something dramatically different? And yep. even though UTSA gave up a ton of points last week, I upgraded them three and a half points in my power ratings because I went, this team has an offense now. They're not going to lose these games 24 to 7, 31 to 10. They may be bad, but at least they're going to push things offensively. And I respect that and I appreciate that. And other teams now have to make an adjustment to UTSA. So that's another element of coaching here that's maybe not quantifiable until you see it. But to me, I think these teams that do something more exciting, I think it does encourage me to either want to play on them or at least value them a little bit higher. Yeah, I mean, in a normal season, I, I mean, I would be all about offense as group of five. I mean, it's sell tickets in a normal season. And how, how do you do that? I mean, you go offense, you explosive plays, score some points, I mean, make it exciting football. One that did come to mind, and I don't know if it's going to play out this week against, uh, you look at Western Kentucky, Liberty is talking about going super fast. That's all I read all off season long. I'm not sure the first game's the way to play it. I did play it at Circa. Markets disagreed with me in this one, uh, but I think Liberty, even though they're replacing all-time leading passer, all-time leading receiver for them, the, all their talk has been up-tempo, up-tempo, up-tempo. Keep an eye on Liberty here in the next couple of games. Well, again, I think it's definitely very important for us to use these highlight videos on our ATS YouTube page to talk about these different betting concepts and uh, you know, certainly to have them here on ATS.io radio as well. So, you know, I guess we'll sort of talk about that Liberty game for a minute here. Give us a couple of minutes to, uh, you know, transition into the next highlight video here. Uh, that's such an intriguing one because I know you're big on returning production, especially early on in the season. And Liberty has virtually none of it. They lose their quarterback. They lose a thousand yard rusher. They lose an NFL draft pick in Gandy Golden. Uh, I don't know if Malik Wilson has officially been named the starter. You can tell me that. But, you know, going with more of an up-tempo style, you know, I mean, is this a good thing for them? Those are questions that we have to ask as we sort of try to figure out where these teams are going into their first games. Yeah, the expectation is going to be Willis. You're right. I haven't seen official, you know, he's going to be QB1 for Liberty. But all intents and purposes, he's going to be that quarterback, although they did bring in a transfer uh, from from Maine there uh, to, to maybe if Willis didn't have it, uh, he, he can maybe he's got at least some experience. So you're right. And, and not only did you mention the returning production, major edge for Western Kentucky, but also game under your belt advantage for Western Kentucky. The fact that they actually played a game, although they didn't look very good against Louisville last week. I, I think that's another, you know, I would say point in, in their direction. Although pure power rating for me is on the game almost right near the number. I did not, other than making an early bet on the over, which the market disagrees with me, I didn't bet the side on this one. And even at the current number, right around 14, I think it's a fair number. By my count, and I could be off here, I think, of the FBS versus FBS games that are on the schedule here this week, I believe eight of them feature a team that's played a game against a team that hasn't played a game. And I think as you look up and down the betting board here, that's priced into the number. I think NC State would be bigger than two and a half against Wake Forest. I think Central yeah. Florida would be bigger than seven and a half against Georgia Tech. I think the Duke line is a little bit too big at six against Boston College. Because these teams have played a game, we've seen them, we've got that data point. What did you do, you know, as a general rule? 
uh, with those games here this week where, yeah, we've seen a team and we have an idea of how they may look, but the lines are probably, you know, sort of pricing that in maybe a little bit too much. Maybe and doing overall, yeah, I have my pure power rating. That's just the strength of a team. So, you know, game under belt, all that stuff doesn't go into my pure power rating on a game. When I'm doing a handicap, then, you know, I give a team an extra point or so. To me, it looks like the market's overreacted to that point. Specifically, I wanted to bet, after I watched Notre Dame Duke, I wanted to bet Duke against Boston College. I expected the number, maybe it's three, maybe it's four. I mean, it's five and a half, six. Too, way, baked way too much in the line, the fact that Duke has a game under their belt advantage. And I know you used to have him on a ton, Ralph Michaels from Cal Sports. He actually queried this up in this offseason because the expectation was you're going to have some game under belt situations this year. It's a negative, long-term negative. We're talking going back 20 years, it's like 45% if you're betting on the team with the game under belt advantage versus the team with no game under their belt. So I'm, my guess is fully baked into the number. And if you do want to play on these teams with games under their belt, because we're going to see it here for the next it's still month or so, teams with, with disproportionate amount of advantages, I think bet it early. If you want to bet on that team with the game under their belt, bet it early because the market's going to overreact throughout the course of the week. And that's what it seems like. It does seem like an overreaction based on, you know, Ralph Michaels running that query. And, um, you know, that was something that kind of jumped off the page to me and, and something that I think was – you know, it's hard because we talk about our power ratings and, you know, there are some games where I do kind of have some discrepancies here, but I don't want to play them maybe for that reason, because yeah. you've got a situation where a team has played and a team hasn't, especially Boston College. You know, I think my line on that game, I can actually bring it up here. My line on that game, I believe is four or it's actually two and a half, which Duke's favored, which is where I think that game should be. But you also have a situation here first-year head coach in Jeff Halfley at Boston College. So, you know, you've got power ratings overlay based on the market number, but you've got this angle that we already talked about where first-year head coaches, 2-8 and eight ATS. Yeah, I've got line value. I've got line value through key numbers, too, and I can't play it. And that that's a little bit frustrating. I mean, that being said, if, if this goes up to 6.5 or 7 based on public action on Duke, I may have to fire on Boston College here out of principle. But it, it's a tough situation to be in with, you know, already a lot of uncertainty thanks to COVID to begin with. No doubt. I mean, if it's typical normal season, Boston College plus six would be in pocket for me. Uh, right now, just too many unknowns. Not only, uh, you know, you talk about the new head coach for Boston College, limited spring practice time, and also brand new quarterback, a transfer quarterback, wasn't even in the program, Phil Dracovic from, from Notre Dame, who I'm not necessarily high on. Market seems to love this kid. I watched him spring games. I watched him play against Bowling Green last year. I don't think the kid's that great, but we'll see in a new system. So a uh, lot of, too many unknowns right now. Do I expect may, may, maybe to, to be playing more on these types of situations as we move along? Yeah, it's just, it's still, we're only, still only, we're week three and we're still only 20-some games in the season. Remember, typically week one with all the FCS games, I mean, I've been writing up all the games. Typically week one is like 80-some games each week, uh, I mean, each year. So far, we've only had like 20 games, too small a sample size to say whether there's value in some of these. Right, there is a game I want to ask you about here, and then we'll get to a highlight game and then sort of uh, scroll around the card a little bit. But game 119-120 is Syracuse and Pitt. And this is one where I've, I've got an overlay. I mean, my number in this game is 15, but I am not in any rush to go and bet Syracuse after how bad they looked last week. Meanwhile, Pitt handled Austin P on FCS team there. 
I tell you what, man, 21 and a half is a big number here, especially with a total of 50, which implies that, you know, Syracuse will do nothing offensively again. That could be true. But as you just said, their defense, and in particular with that new 3-3-5 scheme, which is kind of a tough thing to play against. Some teams in the Mountain West have had great success with a 3-3-5, kind of confounding their opponents a little bit. I just want to get your thoughts on this one, because like I said, this is probably my biggest power ratings overlay of the week. Yeah, I got an overlay, too, not as big as yours. I got an 18 and a half. I mean, I, even though Syracuse is right there, I mean, it took a 21 nothing fourth quarter for North Carolina to cover the number last week. Uh, so I still downgraded the, the orange couple of points in my power ranks. That typically won't be, it wouldn't be the case, but market wise guys hate Syracuse. They love Pitt this year. Uh, I, I don't know what we can really take away from that Austin P game other than, I mean, they, they crushed them and bad beat for anybody that Pitt with the, the no action on the 10 minute quarters in the second half, they get four of their key guys back. They didn't have four key starters for that game and still dominated. So I still upgraded Pitt a couple of points there. Still got a big overlay. And, and, you know, my number one season win total is bet, bet was under Syracuse, and it seems like the market still is way lower on Syracuse than I am. And I think it's a whole horrific mismatch. Their offensive line against Pitt's defensive line, one of the better defensive lines in the country. So even though, I again, it's going to sound like a broken record, I got a three-point overlay. Typical season, I am firing away on the orange plus 21.5 right around a key number this year. Nah, I'm just not interested. I remember the Pitt-Syracuse game last year because I remember that, um, you know, I, I was on Pitt in that game. I think we had them as a contest play uh, in the Golden Nugget. And I'm watching that game at Chicago Midway Airport. And I was just getting so pissed off that Pitt just, they wouldn't put any distance in that game. I think they had like eight or nine sacks in that game. They beat the hell out of the Syracuse quarterback. They just never put any distance in that game. And Again, I'm cherry-picking one example, but... Now that's also... Narduzzi. You yeah, want to right. lay three touchdowns with Pat Narduzzi? Exactly. Get that, the hell that's out of here. That's where I was going with that, yeah. is some teams just aren't capable or just aren't prone to blowing out the opposition when they need to. And, and that's something that, you know, again, maybe it's anecdotal, but also when you talk about the process of handicapping coaches, it's something that stands out. It's something that I remember that Pitt, for whatever reason just seems to let teams hang around. They do. And typically it's been a a stagnant offense for them. Although, you know, their defense has also struggled in past years. That's not the issue this year. And and maybe they push some tempo. They even mentioned it in the recap of the Austin P game. I mean, if you looked at Pitt historically, they had struggled those season openers against FCS teams. But Narduzzi did make an emphasis. He said, hey, we're going to push it a little bit. So maybe that's not Pittsburgh uh, this year. Although I'm going to use the last five, six years of sample size to say that specifically in a conference game, I am not really anxious to bet the Panthers minus 21 and a half. Just ain't happening for me. An interesting game here on the board, and this will be one of our highlight games for our ATS YouTube page. Game 121-122 is Appalachian State and Marshall. App State up to four and a half now total on this game in the 59-59 and a half range. This is an interesting one because we have a scenario here where, you know, App State, as we talked about last week, one of the two teams with an altitude advantage here with the Mountain West and the Pac-12 not playing. Boone, North Carolina, very, very high in elevation as far as, uh, you know, teams east of the Mississippi go. UTEP, the other one down in El Paso. Now they're on the road in Huntington, West Virginia to take on a Marshall team that is generally very, very well coached. And App State 
one of those teams with a first-year head coach in Sean Clark, and we've talked about that a lot already here on the podcast version of ATS.io Radio. What do you think about this one here, Brad, between App State and Marshall? Pure power rating for me is five and a half. I upgraded Marshall significantly, three points from the Eastern Kentucky performance, although I think Eastern Kentucky is just a, you know, a terrible team. I think we, and that's been, been proven now in the first couple games of the season. And, and I think mostly upgrade didn't have to do with the, any part of the team other than the quarterback. Grant Wells looked apart, threw the ball down the field. I don't care if you got open receivers. To be able to throw it uh, you know, on a line 40, 50 yards down the field several times in that game against Eastern Kentucky, I upgraded Marshall. Uh, App State, I bet against App State. I liked Charlotte last week. Bet Charlotte early in the week and a much better number than where it closed at 16 and a half. And I was not impressed whatsoever with Charlotte. I, had to, I thought I had to hang on for dear life, even though Charlotte was only down one point uh, late third quarter in that game. Didn't feel necessarily comfortable with my bet. I, uh, I won a bet against App State, and I upgraded App State's power rating. They had a couple rushers go for 100 yards. You know, they gave up a kick return touchdown. They fumbled on the one-yard line. They probably should have easily covered that game against Charlotte. A Charlotte team that went to a bowl game last year. App State had 11 spring practices, and even though they got a first-year coach, there's still some continuity. He was there in the program. His new defensive coordinator was in the program for several years prior to taking last year off with another program. So there's more continuity at App State than most. you got the quarterback, Zach Taylor, a multiple-year starter. I like App State here at the 4 4 and a half number. I just They're the more proven commodity for me. I, other than upgrading Marshall, I, don't, I still don't know much. I have zero spring practices. And they played an average FCS team at best, more comfortable with the Mounties here. Yeah, I thought it's a really interesting handicap. And, and like you, my number's a little bit higher than the market. I've got six on this one. A couple of, of talking points I want to expand on a little bit more here. Um, you know, For Marshall, they play a game, then they have a week off. Now yep. they play again. And we talked earlier in the show about teams that are playing their first games here and not really being sure what we're going to get out of them. We had a couple of teams here, Navy being one of them this week with a long layoff, and then also Marshall. What do you think about that, where you you, you don't get the spring practices, you've got this weird lead-up to the season, you play a game, and you want to get into rhythm. You want to get all the timing down and all of that. You play a game, then you have a bye week. Now you play again against one of the best group of five schools in the country year in and year out. Do you think it helps Marshall that they got to play and then have a week off to work on things, or do you think it hurts them because you kind of strive for that consistency early in the year. Yeah, I think in Marshall's case, and I think Navy's a completely different example, but Marshall's instance, I think it's a negative for them. I, I think I'd have rather seen them you know, play game after game, get more consistency, because they hadn't had any spring practices. So to me, I think, you know, it's not a major negative. It's not like I moved, you know, the, the game a point or so, but it, it, to me, it's not positive, Evie. What about the total here? You know, total moving up from 57 to 59, 59 and a half. And as you said, from watching Marshall in their first game, a little bit more of a vertical nature to that passing attack. But, you know, we think about App State, they're always very good defensively. They're not really a big pass play offense. They've, they run the football very well. Thomas takes care of the football. This total feel like it's getting a little bit high to you? It does a little bit. So I had it in the 57, 58 range is where I power rated it at. So continues to climb for me, would lean under. And look, it's a big game. Maybe there's some nerves. I mean, this is a 3.30 CBS game now. And I think that would have been a major advantage for Marshall had they been able to sell out their stadium and stuff and have a 3.30 CBS time slot. Not so much with limited crowd attendance for them, even though they had some fans for Eastern Kentucky. 
Uh, yeah, maybe some added pressure with the national spotlight. To me, when you have added pressure, I don't want to be, you know, you know, betting blindly on an over. Well, it's not the strongest of consensus plays for us here, but both Brad and I do like Appalachian State here at this better at three and a half at four and a half. You know, it's a little bit closer to the power ratings numbers that we both have. But we wanted to break down this highlight game for you here on our ATS YouTube page and encourage you every Monday and Thursday, Tuesdays as well now with Brian Blessing to check out our ATS.io radio content. Uh, as we look at the rest of the board here, Brad, any other games that kind of stand out to you? You know, further down, we got uh, Louisiana Tech. They're playing their first game against a Southern Miss team in that same situation as Marshall, not to mention with a new head coach. Texas State back at it, laying a massive number on the road for them against UL Monroe, five and a half. I think Texas State's been favored on the road, I guess the first time since November 2014, I want to yep. say, that they're favored yep. on the road. Right. And any of these other games stand out to you here at the bottom of the board? Well, I think you, you hit on two of them. I mean, I, I do like Southern Miss, and, and typically maybe I wouldn't, but I think they get a one-game bump with an interim. They got a 30-year-old coach, very high energy. He's already been a head coach before, I know, at the D3 level, but they, they were the highest-scoring offense in the entire country in this one year as a net head coach. And if you listen to his quotes, he's talking about pushing the, the tempo, the pace, uh, n- not letting uh, their foot off the gas pedal. And I, upon further reflection – I mean, maybe South Alabama, the team who upset Southern Miss, maybe they're not such a bad football team. I mean, who they were handling Tulane with a backup quarterback for a majority of the game, could have beaten Tulane outright as a double-digit underdog. So maybe we shouldn't have downgraded Southern Miss as much. From everything that I've read, Jay Hobson, the former coach, there was not a good relationship between him and necessarily the players. Remember, Hobson wanted to you know, hire Art Bryles, I think that really uh, affected the chemistry overall uh, on that team. So I didn't majorly downgrade Southern Miss from a head coaching aspect, even though I typically would. And Louisiana Tech, I mean, I, I, who knows? I mean, it's baked into the number, but I don't think it, it probably isn't baked in enough. They had 38 players out last week. Didn't practice because of COVID. I don't care if all those players are back this week for them. They missed a whole week of practice, you know, leading up to the season. Game under their belt, new exciting young head coach, Southern Miss for me, minus five, I think it's a good bet. One other game I want to ask you about here, you know, UCF hasn't played yet. They're favored over Georgia Tech. That makes sense, UCF. You know, again, one of the best group of five schools year in and year out. Troy and Middle Tennessee State is a fascinating line to me. You've got Troy minus three and a half, total 64 and a half in this game. I've got MTSU favored by a half point in my power ratings. But, you know, when you think about the first data point for MTSU, it probably couldn't have been much worse. On the other hand, they're playing an option team. They don't see the option much. And quite frankly, they probably didn't care to defend the option because it was a one-off sample. And they're more worried about getting their team together. Not a great showing from Rick Stockstill. I know you talked about that on your Twitter page, at Brad Powers in the number seven. Look, I, I, I like Troy. I like this program a lot. Year in and year out, they're very consistent. They're very good. Three and a half feels big to me, though. It does. I got six and a half at Circa. So I'm with you. Initial thoughts from, you know, Middle Tennessee for me. Still would lean Middle Tennessee plus the three and a half. I think it's a pretty good bet. What what concerns me a little bit, uh, more reading that I've done throughout the week, is Middle Tennessee had four starters getting hurt in that Army game. Doesn't look like any of them are back this week. So, and not skill position guys or anything like that, but at the line of scrimmage. So negative there. 
game under their belt. I think you can throw some of that result out because they were so ill-equipped to play the option. So I think the market downgraded Middle Tennessee a little too much. Pure number for me was like two, two and a half, Troy. So, of course, through a key number. I'm comfortable even at this point, even with those starters out, Middle Tennessee plus three and a half would be the play for me. I guess help our listeners out a little bit here, and, and I apologize if this takes away some of your edge, but you know, where do you where do you find college football injury information? Because it's it's generally not easy to find. Boy, tough. I mean, uh, Twitter probably is the best. I mean, go team by team. It's, it's the only thing that Twitter is good for. Yeah, I mean, that's a shame because <laughs> then, I, you know, it takes me, you know, 90% of the time is scrolling through political crap that I don't want to see. I mean, so I, what I've done is specifically, I've had time to do this this year. Uh, I've created college football lists, whether it be beat reporters for, for specific teams, specifically if they're not in the political garbage, they're just reporting and doing their job on their team. Uh, I've followed a lot of those guys. That, that's probably the best. I mean, generically speaking, Don Best injury reports. I mean, they're okay. I mean, stuff that I read in, in, in newspaper, newspaper articles generally appears on their site so if it's if you're doing basic one-on-one down best injuries is okay all right so let's transition over to the nfl side of things here for uh for a good little bit on today's show and we talked about this a lot on tuesday with brian blessing we did some videos and we also did an ats.io radio show week one to week two it's overreaction week in the nfl we've seen several of them we've seen some lines move against the initial overreaction we've seen some lines keep going with the overreaction just as a starting point here we are going to go a little more in detail with a highlight video on ravens and texans here in a little bit but what are some of the overreactions that stand out to you here for week two Oh, wow. One of them might actually be, and I know we're taping this on Thursday, but, but you know, the Browns-Bengals game, I think maybe a little bit overreaction on the Browns getting crushed. I mean, that's what the Browns do. They lose season openers. Uh, and a number that, that pretty much has come down through a key number from, from the look-ahead line here. Cincinnati looked okay. I mean, but they basically met expectation. Uh, we're, we're three point. The underdog lost by three in that game. And, you know, fourth quarter, the case could be made that they could easily forced overtime in that one, but I think that one seems a little bit like an overreaction to me just because the spot is so horrible for Cincinnati. You and I talked before we taped here. Uh, seems like an overreaction to me, although I'm not running to the window or, you know, fired up my app to, to go ahead and bet Cleveland uh, tonight. That, that's one that stood out to me a little bit. Yeah, I, I think maybe if this one comes off six, I might take a shot with Cleveland, but I, I'm I'm also a jaded Browns fan who always comes to expect the worst. So, you know, Joe Burrow could very well look like Russell Wilson tonight. It wouldn't surprise me at all because those are the things that happen uh, to the Cleveland Browns. And I will continue supporting the Browns, uh, but doesn't mean I have to support them with my hard-earned money uh, by going ahead and betting on them. Any other games here for Sunday that you're kind of looking at going, you know, this this line just it doesn't really look right. Good doesn't really look right to me. Well, you know, a couple of them, I would say the Detroit-Chicago game, probably a little overreaction what happened in the fourth quarter. I mean, Detroit was clearly the better team. So to me, I kind of want to play against the Bears, even though I'm not wild about the Giants. And I kind of want to play on the Lions against the Packers. Those were kind of a point. And we just got done talking, hey, my overlay in this college game is three points. I'm not betting it. Hell, in the NFL, if I think I got a half-point advantage, I mean, most of the time in most seasons, I'm betting a half-point advantage in the NFL because the lines are so tight. One in particular to me is very interesting. Minnesota, who I took plus the full field goal here. Uh, I get it, Indianapolis dominated the box score. But to me, it just reminded me 
of 15 years of San Diego and L.A. Chargers football under Phillip Rivers. Dominate the box score, look the part except on the scoreboard. I can't trust the Colts team, specifically with, you know, out any fans. This number is saying the Colts by and far are the better team than Minnesota. I get it. The Vikings defense looked like garbage against Aaron Rodgers last week, but my goodness, I thought Minnesota plus three looked pretty good to me, and I bet the Vikings uh, off that three number. Now, the the one thing I would say, and I kind of posed this question on Tuesday to Brian, so I'll pose it to you as well. Yeah, you get the week one to week two overreaction. You do get you know some of these line adjustments out there in the marketplace. Now, my devil's advocate point of view here would be we didn't have the preseason. We had yeah. limited OTAs. How much can things really change in one week? in the NFL with some of these teams. So I guess that's kind of my you know caveat, asterisk, whatever you want to call it. That's something that I'm kind of trying to weigh here, thinking about my Circa card that I'm going to have for this weekend. Of How'd you do in how, Circa? Uh, 4-0-1 last week. That's good. But I got, I got fortunate, man. The Chargers shouldn't have covered. Uh, Denver probably shouldn't have covered. Or, well, the Chargers pushed. Uh, you know, yeah. the uh, the Broncos shouldn't have covered. I got lucky, but you got to get lucky in a contest like that yeah. uh, from time That's to good. time. But, yeah, it's a great start. I'm very happy with it. But like I said, I'm trying to weigh that risk-reward here going into this, or not the risk-reward, but just sort of that whole thought process of, yeah, it's an overreaction, but do we just see more of the same in week two? That's a great point. That's why I love doing this. Uh, I Yeah, I didn't think of that because typically, I mean, normal standard procedure – Week Tuesday, like we've been talking about, the, the biggest overreaction week of the entire year. I'll, I'll be perfectly frank. I haven't, to me, at least from, from I'm looking at the board, I haven't seen major overreactions like I typically do. I think and maybe the money shows up. I mean, obviously limits get opened up later in the week, and then we start to see some reactions. And maybe we see them. Right now, I, I mean, to me, it's kind of wait and see. Uh, I mean, we're in a, I've never handicapped a COVID uh, season before. So in some instances, I think it's easier. In this instance, yeah, I'm not sure with the NFL card. I, it makes me sort of wonder here, maybe, the, maybe not even just this year, but maybe going forward, maybe week three is the new week two. Because then we've got two data points, and you get all those stats that are out there of, you know, what, seven teams that have started 0-2 have made the playoffs or – Whatever the hell this yeah. stat is, I, I'm just you know throwing that off the top of my head. But you always get that. Well, you know, uh, this team can't go to 0-3. If they go 0-3, they're not going to make the playoffs. Maybe week three is the new week two. Because everyone, it's ingrained in us now from all the betting content and all the shows that are out there that week two is the overreaction week. Odds makers are going to adjust the same way that we are. Maybe week three, maybe next week is the week that you and I reconvene and we go, oh, shit, there's a lot of overreaction on the board here. Maybe that's the case. So I get it. 40's the new 30 and that. Although I'm ever approaching 40, 40's not the new 30. So week three, week two, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's well, see, just... it could be. Although, I mean, generally speaking, I, I normally see two, three points of overreaction, in my opinion, in week two. I'm not seeing, generally speaking, I'm not seeing it this year. No, I mean, I, I think maybe more so on totals, we're seeing a little bit of overreaction, I okay. think, this week. But from a side standpoint, yeah, there's there's not a ton. I mean, you know, I, I thought initially, and I talked about this on Monday, and I talked about it on Tuesday, I thought initially that maybe Buffalo and Miami was a little bit of an overreaction just because I think New England's actually still a very good yeah. football team, even though a lot of people don't think that. But the more I kind of look at this number, and I still like Miami, and I probably will still go contrarian and take them in the Circa, 
maybe that number's not wrong. You know, I, I, I yeah. don't know. But like you said, it doesn't seem like there are a lot of games here this week where it just feels wildly inaccurate. And maybe part of that is because we're all still trying to figure out what the hell's going on with this league and with these teams and, you know, with the very unique lead up to the season. But, you know, again, too, I mean, look, you didn't have to prepare for any preseason games as a head coach. When you got together for practice, you worried about your team and you had multiple weeks to worry about that first week one opponent. What happens now this week where you've got your traditional four, five, six days to prep for your week two opponent? Last week, it was almost all division games. This week, it's not. So, you mm. know, I mean, there are still a lot of them, but this week, it's not. And, you know, some coaches don't do well going outside the division. Some teams play better against teams that aren't familiar with them. Maybe those are more of the angles that we need to be looking at. Absolutely. And one thing I will say, maybe we haven't seen too much of an overreaction. Do you know of anybody that lost last weekend as far as NFL week one, at least guys that do it professionally, all the theories that we had, all the plays, I mean, all the stuff that was obvious to the guys that do it professionally, all won. I mean, everybody had not just win. I mean, you went 4-0-1 in the Circa. My newsletter picks went 3-0. I mean, everything that you played won. So we didn't have a lot, I mean, basically met expectation. So we didn't have a lot of outliers as far as finals like we typically do in week one. Maybe that's not why, why we're seeing hardly anything in week two. But maybe this is this is the new, like you said, this is maybe the new week one because we're not seeing those familiarity foes and whatnot. And maybe we'll be talking next week about a lot of overreactions, hopefully, because overreactions means value. Maybe this week two is week one, and people thought last week was the preseason. You know, I, yeah. I heard people kind of talking about that, too, of – you know, I'm treating week one of the NFL like it's the preseason, which I thought was an outlandish statement to make. But some people were saying that because, you know, we didn't really know what to expect from these teams. So I think that's an excellent point on your part. And like you said, I mean, nobody ever loses at the you know, oh, nobody ever loses yeah. in this business. Yeah. You know, you scroll through social media, everyone's 70 percent. Everyone's got a beach house. Everybody's got, you know, a yeah. vacation home somewhere. Uh, nobody ever loses in this business. Yeah. So. You know, I, I, and that's, I mean, that's the thing, you know, the NFL market is, is rough and a lot of people did well last week. And you sort of wonder, you know, if there is sort of that regression to the mean here this week, the only thing I could think of that people lost last week was there was some sharper money on Indianapolis expecting that blowout over the Jaguars and by the box score, Indy did blow them out. Yeah. The result just didn't follow suit. So even that, even that loss, people are going to say right side, wrong result. So, you know, everybody's a winner last week, and we'll see what happens here this week, I guess. I did have a loser, advantage teaser on the, on the Colts. Can you believe that? They couldn't oh. even cover an advantage teaser with that box score. I know. I had one, too. I think I had, I had Packers and I had Packers and Colts. And that the Packers just teaser. go ahead and win her out. Yeah. That was my teaser, my advantage teaser play of the week. That was the only thing I lost. Those advantage teasers, I mean, look, I know that they're long-term proven successful. I feel like I've lost more of them than I've won. <laughs> I just enough. I won oh, for three man. years straight playing them. Now a year plus I haven't won. It's been very frustrating. Yeah, it, it, there's always something that's frustrating about the NFL market, to yeah. say the least. Here, but uh, we got a highlight clip here of Game two eighty three two eighty four Baltimore and Houston. Baltimore up to seven point favorites in this one. Total coming down a little bit. Interestingly enough, fifty one fifty one and a half. Baltimore looks great against the Browns. The Browns are never prepared for week one. Uh, and Baltimore was very prepared for week one. 
Lamar Jackson found every open receiver, and he had plenty of them because the Browns' major injury concerns in the back seven. Houston, they probably played okay, I would say, against the Chiefs. But again, a Chiefs team that is probably number two in everybody's AFC power ratings just below the Baltimore Ravens. Pretty brutal start to the season for Houston having to play, uh, you know, the the Chiefs and the Ravens back to back. What do you think about them getting seven at home here? So typically, I think in a normal NFL season, I'd probably be all over the Texans here. Uh, I mean, they were beat by double digits on national TV, got an extra couple days to prepare, taking on a, a Ravens team that had one of the dominant, if not the most dominant performance from week one. To me, it'd be a typical auto play on the Texans. You know, some of it, though, I think some of the NFL, college game is creeping in the NFL where teams, uh, you know, we talk about parity in the NFL where the power rings difference between one through 16, one through 32, is just not that disparate. Any little half point edge you can get is worth betting uh, as far as I'm concerned. But I just think maybe the Chiefs and the Ravens are just that much better than everybody else. We certainly saw it when the Ravens played the Texans last year. They absolutely dis- dismantled them, 41-7. Box score agreed with it. I mean, it was uh, an absolute ass-kicking for, for the Ravens. And Ravens, to me, uh, have the best roster. I mean, to me, I still have the Chiefs number one in my power rating because the head coach, well, Harbaugh's a pretty good head coach too, but Reed and Mahomes uh, put them over the top. But the Ravens are real close there. And I don't trust Bill O'Brien. And I like Deshaun Watson. But that offensive line looked better at times last week, but still in the end. I just don't know if they got enough to compete here with the Ravens. Lean Baltimore for me, but typically it would have probably made my card last five years Texans plus the the full touchdown at all. Well, that's why I wanted to talk about this game specifically, and I I know it's a highlight video. I know people want picks, but I'm more about the process. I'm more about the philosophy of handicapping as opposed to just sitting here handing out picks left and right, and that's just it. Traditionally speaking, This is a play on the Texans for you, for me. It's a contrarian handicap. A lot of people on Baltimore this week. We see that with the line going up. And you got the Bill O'Brien factor. And that's the hard part here is that he is at such a dramatic disadvantage against a head coach like John Harbaugh. We talked earlier in the show about how to handicap and how to quantify college coaches and all that and how there are some very big gaps with college football. For the most part in the NFL, the gaps aren't that large. And then you get a Bill O'Brien and you get a Bill O'Brien against a John Harbaugh. That's problematic to me. I do think it was easy for Baltimore to look really good against Cleveland because they know the personnel. They know the weaknesses. They knew they could attack that secondary and they attacked it very, very effectively and very efficiently this week against Houston. You know, does Houston secondary play a little bit better? Probably can't play worse than the Browns secondary did last week. But is Houston able to do anything offensively to keep pace if they need to? And I don't know the answer to that question. Last week, Will Fuller was very, very busy. But we saw that Houston has had to change their offense without DeAndre Hopkins. And, you know, you sort of wonder here in week two, like we just talked about with the week one to week two overreaction, you know, thoughts and and theories here. How much changes for Houston from week one to week two? Nothing needs to change for Baltimore. Nothing really ever needs to change for Baltimore. Does Houston adjust and doesn't allow them to stick around in this game? I don't know if I can trust Bill O'Brien to do that. I don't know if I can trust the Texans offensive line to give Watson time to develop a rapport with somebody other than Will Fuller. Exactly. I, I way too much uncertainty on the Houston side. What I do have certainty is 
at least to start off a season, Harbaugh is money, whether it's preseason games, season openers, his trends are really good. I mean, that guy, I mean, we got a, dad, a sample size now of decade plus. His teams are ready to go at the start of the season. We even saw last year that how dominant they were to, to start it off. Again, I'm not typically, I, I would want to take the home dog getting a full touchdown here, a playoff type of caliber team with a decent quarterback and Deshaun Watson. I'm just, I, no. And then to me, the, the edge isn't there enough. Too mo- way too much uncertainty with Bill O'Brien. So here's a question, and, and yeah. this is something that we'll talk about more as we go throughout the season here. We mentioned this a little bit in passing last week. You know, for most NFL seasons, it's Las Vegas and it's the offshore market. But for this NFL season, we've got a lot of states on board now to the point where I would assume that we have, you know, a much more uh, public sentiment out there to bet on teams like the Ravens. And so far, we have seen that here. Do you think that maybe this is a game that gets to seven and a half? Maybe a rogue hook pops up here somewhere. And at that point, would you take the Texans? And leading Texans. Uh, again, NFL, half, every half point matters. That's what I, I'll preach. And I'll preach for most cases, even this year. Uh, but when it comes to the Ravens and the Chiefs specifically, because two teams that have quarterbacks, unique quarterbacks, uh, Mahomes might be the most you know, gifted arm talent we've ever seen in the history of the NFL. Lamar Jackson, we've never seen anything like him. I'm not sure the point spreads can necessarily account for some of these guys. I mean, outside of Baltimore's horrible performance in the playoffs, I mean, this team is just, you know, just crushing teams. We thought they had an historically great team last year until the playoffs. Well, I'll tell you, the Chiefs are on a historic run. Ten straight wins, ten straight covers. I mean, typically the market accounts for this. I'm not sure that it does. So, yeah, I would normally run the window and say, hey, give me Texas plus seven and a half. I'm telling the edge here, and we're going to, it's more of an in game live wagering opportunity for me. Either it's going to be a very competitive game right down to the fourth quarter, or it's going to be evident early that, hey, the Texans don't have an answer for this Lamar Jackson led Baltimore offense. And we're going to see what we saw last year Baltimore crushing the Texans. So, in game live would be the way I'm going to go, even if it moves at half point. Yeah, that Kansas City line just going north here as well this week, up from six and a half, seven to eight and a half. And you bring up a good point about live betting. I think when we circle back next week on Thursday, we'll do a highlight video here for our ATS YouTube page on live betting. Some of the things that you want to look for, uh, both in college football and in the NFL. But make sure you listen to our editions of ATS.io radio. Uh, we got a lot of good stuff going on there uh, with those. My apologies for the camera as my uh, monitor decided to shut off on me. So that's a good way to end this highlight video, I guess, uh, for the ATS.io YouTube page. Fuck it, whatever. All right. So with that, a few other things I want to talk about here uh, with regards to the NFL card uh, for week two. Uh, any other games that you know stand out that we didn't touch on? Maybe the uh, new hometown Las Vegas Raiders, something you want to take a look at? Yeah, another thing where I'll tell you, Las, I'm not anxious about the Raiders. Uh, just because I think they're expensive in town. We saw them take a lot of action last week against Carolina and all those people that won, even though I didn't think the Raiders looked very impressive. This would have been the one instance where I wanted to play on Las Vegas. Opening up the stadium, if they would have had you know, a sellout crowd, it would have been one of the best atmospheres probably in this entire NFL season. Wanting to play the Raiders, but no fans opening up a stadium. I mean, I just lean Las Vegas at this point. If the number continues to climb, though, I wouldn't mind taking them here. Because, I mean, Gruden's a rah-rah type of guy. I wasn't overly impressed with Drew Brees' performance. Tom Brady took the brunt of the criticism, and deservedly so after last week's game. But uh, 
I wasn't impressed with Breeze. Raiders, small lean there. And I apologize for not having a lot of strong picks in the NFL this week. To me, the card was blah. Yeah, I don't see a whole lot to love on the card here either. Um, and I figure on that note, you know, with uh, with the technical issues that we're having here all of a sudden, with the fact that my webcam just doesn't want to sit where it's supposed to, feels like that's a pretty good way to wrap up this edition here of ATS.io Radio. Brad Powers, professional handicapper over at bradpowersports.com. What's going on over at the website right now, man? Yeah, I talk about it each and every week. It's my newsletter. Game right up every single college game. Game right up NFL. Power ratings for every college team that's playing. We'll add teams as they, they join the college football season. Uh, trends, notes from last week, misleading finals, everything, in, uh, a whole lot more, including picks. We haven't lost one yet this year. We're perfect so far. College and NFL, don't buy it for the picks. Don't buy it for the info. 79 bucks. It's for the entire season. College, pro. And if the Mountain West and Mac want to play in the, in the spring, you're covered for those as well. BradBowerSports.com. Well, make sure you follow Brad on Twitter, at Brad Powers and the number seven. Brad, appreciate your time as always, man. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll talk with you again next week. Sounds good, man. Thanks for having me on. There you go. There's Brad Powers, professional handicapper over at bradpowersports.com. Coming up on Friday on ATS.io Radio, uh, just a podcast version here where I give you my thoughts for week two in the Circus Sports Million. Off to a 4-0-1 start. Hopefully can continue that here uh, for week two. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.